1: Welcome to Dear Prudence, I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond Harris. Today we're discussing letters about friends who for some reason don't call you when they're in town, the pros and cons of dating divorced men, and what to do when you've pressured your friend to break up with someone who ends up being a great husband to someone else. And by the way, you also said he was a sex trafficker. Anyway, here to help me out today is scientist turned actor, Alicia Wainwright. She most recently starred on the macro-produced Netflix series Raising Dion, based on the comic book of the same name as Nicole Warren, a single mother whose son Dion has magical superhero-like abilities. Prior to her acting career, she was a tropical biologist, having studied botany at the University of Florida. She's hosting a new podcast series, When Science Finds a Way, beginning on Wednesday, June 28th. She and her guests address questions about our pressing health challenges and hear stories of hope from people who are facing them using innovative methods and fresh perspectives. Hey, Alicia, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I so appreciate you making the time because I know how busy you are with your own career and your own podcast. Um, We were laughing before we got on because we told you the show would be fun. And you were like, well, that's a good change from the heavier heavier issues that I address on my podcast.
2: I mean, never did I think that hosting a podcast about global health challenges would somehow qualify me to give relationship advice. But we're here. We're doing it. I'm not going to hold back full on honesty it's coming. I'm so excited. Before we get started, just quickly want to tell people a little bit about your podcast. Absolutely. So when science finds a way is a podcast where I have discussions with researchers and scientists who are finding impactful solutions to the critical health issues facing everyone. We cover topics like mental health, infectious diseases, uh, research that impacts social justice issues, and climate health. So I'll just give you an example of one. Did you know that heat is responsible for more deaths than any other meteorological phenomena? No.
1: I would have thought it was probably like floods Flooding, right? tornadoes or hurricanes. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have gotten to heat in probably the first 10 guesses.
2: <laughs> well, it's kind of crazy because heat is sort of the silent killer and it's kind of lurking in the background. You can't see it. And it disproportionately affects outdoor workers, poor communities, and women. Women are disproportionately affected in many areas in the world. Women are more likely to die of heat. So we talked to this researcher, Kathy Boffman-McLeod, over at Arstrock Resilience Center. And her initiative uh, elects chief heat officers in these countries where heat, it's at its most extreme, right? And then these local women are empowering other local women to create solutions to their challenges. So like in Sierra Leone, the women decided to erect these like shade covers over their markets to decrease the temperatures while they're working through the day. I mean, these are like really simple, elegant solutions that are empowering people on the ground to to change their lives for the better. And, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that we deal with on our podcast. So like uplifting fun and trying to like make climate change, like not sound like the worst thing ever, which it is, but you know, there's hope somewhere.
1: That's great. <laughs> So um, on every show, we'd like to ask our guests for one piece of unsolicited advice. Um, I'm guessing now yours might be about staying cool and not overheating. No. <laughs> but really, what's something you would like people to know that you just like want to get off your chest unprompted, not related to any letter we're discussing?
0: Mm.
2: I feel like I want to tell people that if you are finding yourself experiencing the same issues again and again and again, whether it's like, I can't ever find people that I can trust or like I can never like rely on X, Y, and Z type of people or my family or relationships, take a beat and look at yourself because Mm. you might be the common denominator and like there's always room for personal growth. So (laughs) I learned that lesson um, many times and I hate to say it, but like we're not perfect. So there's always room to grow.
1: I like how you said there's always room for personal growth instead of it's your fault. Yeah. I mean, well, it is, but my better spin on it. You are the problem. <laughs> With that, Alicia and I will dive into your questions after a short break.
2: This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why?
1: Alicia, are you ready for our first letter? No, but yes. You have to be. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Can we just take a break and chat? No, I'm just kidding. Let's do it. (laughs) It's titled, Sad Friend.
3: I need advice about a friendship of mine. My friend Lucy and I met 20 years ago when we were college roommates we immediately became fast friends. Despite living on opposite ends of the country and rarely seeing each other, over the years, we have maintained what I thought was a close friendship, talking on the phone monthly, sharing hopes, dreams, crisis, relationships, family, pregnancy, etc. Lucy was a bridesmaid at my wedding. There have been a couple of times over the years that I found out via Facebook or on the phone after the fact that Lucy traveled to my state within an hour of where I live and didn't get in touch with me either at all or until a few days before leaving at which later times I have dropped everything to figure out how to get to go see her this is compounded by the fact that her then boyfriend now soon-to-be husband who I've never actually met is from a town about 45 minutes from me in recent years I have seen her once five years ago for my wedding and then once two years ago when after being in town for a while she let me know about two days before she left so i rapidly made arrangements to go see her with my newborn for about an hour i'm hurt and perplexed and finding out today that she has apparently been once again in town about 45 minutes away without letting me know She is in town with her husband and baby who she has always been talking about how excited she is to get our kids together apparently for a wedding they attended but per facebook have had time for sightseeing, touristy time, etc. I should note that this friend is in a relationship to a very wealthy person. She does not work, travels extensively, and in my mind, I can't imagine why, if we are as close as she purports we are, why she wouldn't have reached out to try to meet up. And it's not as though it wouldn't be relatively easy for her to stay an extra day. I should add that I have been struggling, trying to figure out how can I attend her wedding which is a destination wedding this fall that will require several thousand dollars, as well as several of my precious vacation days to attend, which is also scheduled for the week my child begins preschool. I have felt obligated to go, as well as wanting to, despite those obstacles, because of our valued friendship. Now, I'm second-guessing our friendship, as our friendship apparently way more one-sided than I thought. I am a relatively realistic down-to-earth person with several close friendships but got a huge social circle. Have I somehow misread our entire friendship or is this a newer wealth class gap or am I being too sensitive or are we just grown apart? I just can't imagine a world in which I traveled to within an hour of her home and didn't let her know that I was going to be there to try to see her. I guess the main reason I'm writing is to try to get some insight as to whether I'm crazy, if I'm wrong to be so hurt by this, and also, I think, looking for permission to say no to going to the wedding without being a terrible friend. Because I don't think I'm the one not being a great friend here. And I'm wondering if my feeling compelled to go was reflective of a relationship that doesn't exist in the way I thought it did.
1: So, I just want to start off by saying, no, you're not crazy. And acknowledging that this really hurts. Um, I've definitely experienced something like this, where you have a friendship that you sort of take stock of suddenly and say, is it really a friendship anymore? Or is it just someone I've been calling a friend? Do mm-hmm. the do the behaviors and the interactions actually line up with what you would think of as friendship anymore?
2: Have you? Uh, this happened to me quite recently, actually. Really? And uh I I moved to an area where a friend of mine that I've known since high school lives. And I whenever I would travel, I would see her all the time because I Mm -hmm. was visiting for a certain amount of time. And then now that I'm here more regularly, I never see her. Mm. And I always and she'll drive up and be like 30 minutes away from my house and like not hit me up or anything like that. And it used to really hurt my feelings. And it hurt less and less once I realized like. She matters more to me than I matter to her. And I just have to deal with that. And Mm. so it just kind of shifted the way I thought about our friendship, which really sucked. You know, it doesn't feel good. You want to feel like you matter to your friends.
1: (laughs) Right. Or maybe, I mean, just pushing back on it a little to make you feel better about your friend. But also, I think this (laughs) might be the case. Maybe it's not that you matter less to her, but just that she's not able to prioritize. Totally. The yeah. like the the in-person part of the friendship as much as you are for whatever reason. It could be being disorganized, being depressed, being busy, being anxious about packing too much into a day. Um I just always try to remember that people could have any number of things going on. Um, But doesn't that
2: mean the same thing though? Like if you matter less to someone, it's because they're prioritizing other things. Like it's just like a meaner way to say
1: the same thing. (laughs) No, you're totally right. You're totally right. It just, it could come from a place that's not like, I don't like Alicia anymore. Totally. It's just, yeah, I'm not going to go all the way out of my way.
2: Right, right, right. And I also feel like many times in my life, I've benefited from asking myself the question, like, are you making this about yourself? Hmm. Or could this be something that they're dealing with that you just don't know about? And maybe it's worth, when I think about this uh, question, maybe it's worth this letter writer calling their friend and being like, hey, I haven't heard from you in a long time. And that feels kind of out of character. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. And like Hmm. maybe that might foster a deeper relationship than you just being like, I'm having to constantly arrange my schedule for you and like feeling a little bit bitter and resentful. Like maybe there's a way to like enter the conversation with a bit of grace.
1: I don't know if you have a therapist, but if you do, I think we should put their information in the show notes because I can, (laughs) I
2: can already tell
1: (laughs) that you have like trained yourself in a very healthy way of thinking about
2: things. I do have a therapist. (laughs) She's amazing. And uh, yeah, but I also feel like, I don't know. I kind of, years ago when I worked in the restaurant industry, I had this boss who was a Buddhist who Mm. always had these like really interesting kind of philosophical perspectives from from Buddhism. And Mm -hmm. one of those things is like, you know, like quiet your mind about yourself because everyone is suffering. And if you're feeling like resentful, because you're, I mean, she has a newborn and she wants, she's trying to make it work with this friend. I'm like, yeah, but step number one is like calling your friend and being like, are we friends? I just need to know that we are friends and I love you, you know?
1: (laughs) And are you doing okay? Yeah. Yeah, And like those three powerful words, I miss you.
2: Mm -hmm. I think could Mm -hmm. go a long
1: way right here. Um, I just think friendships that kind of go downhill are so tough and so hurtful because With romantic breakups, there's a clear breaking point, right? Like if someone isn't delivering and the relationship is getting a lower grade than maybe a B minus or a C plus, someone's going to say something and someone's going to want to date someone else. But with friendships, you're allowed to have many friends. So there's no incentive to like officially have a conversation or get rid of someone. If you no longer want to be close to them, you can just kind of stop paying attention to them. And that can be really painful on the other end.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have also done something like that. And... Uh- that friend called me out on it and she was like, I want to have a real conversation with you about why I feel like you're avoiding me. And Mm. I was avoiding her. I just didn't know how to like effectively and respectfully tell her how I felt. So instead I just hurt her feelings for months and months and that's Mm. not okay. Uh, But we had like a super deep conversation about it. We got super real about some of the issues, like maybe this writer, you know, like there could be so much, that could be said. And I'm speaking from someone who like, does not like confrontation. I want to avoid it at all costs. And I I feel like I've surrounded myself with people who are, they don't know how to not let things go. They're like, Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) You don't like this. We'll sit down. We're going to have a conversation about Mm -hmm. it. And that's helped me. (laughs) It actually doesn't help me because I still do it. But But if they're taking care of it, it's okay. It only takes one person. Listen, man, it just takes one person to create a confrontation. But like, they're coming out of love and they're coming out of hurt. So like, I'm glad she came to me and and asked me what was going on. And I was able to be honest with her and we were able to move past that with like more clarity. And Mm -hmm. I feel like this letter writer, she just sounds like she also has a lot on her plate and she's not even considering like that a conversation with this friend could just make her feel a lot better.
1: Mm -hmm. Or even just saying, you know, I understand that when you come to town or you're an hour away we may not be able to get together but you know just let me know or we can talk yeah. on the phone. I mean so I live in the Bay Area and I have a friend who lives in New York who works for one of the tech companies and she used to come out a lot for work before the pandemic and we'd always get together and if she ever came out and knew that her schedule was going to be packed with meetings she would just tell me, "Hey, I'm coming to your town. I'm not going to be able to see you, but just in case you see me in the street, like know that I'm there." I did that recently when I went to Atlanta. I had a going to my cousin's graduation from Spelman. I was in and out, packed schedule the whole time. Arriving Friday night, leaving Sunday morning. And I told my friend who lives two hours away. You know, normally we'd see each other, but I just can't see where I'd fit it in. I still called her when I landed. Like, hey, I'm in your area of the country. We still chatted about the fact that I was close by. And I think there's at least room for something like that, even if it turns out that Lucy does have a ton going on in her life and is just too frazzled to to make a hangout happen.
2: Yeah. I think that's actually really, that's such a nice thing to do Um, Mm -hmm. in a friendship. I, I totally think that's a great idea. And I also feel like I don't know if the letter writer is the kind of person that knows how to advocate for their needs. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know how to do that. It's hard. It's awkward. And I think if she was like, hey, we don't have to meet up, but like, I would love to hear from you. It would make my whole day. And like, I don't know, maybe something like that. I think Lucy could be pulling back because she feels bad
1: about not already, like already having fallen down on the job in terms of staying in touch, you know? So then yeah. you don't want to reach out because you're like, oh, she's probably mad at me and I don't totally. know. And she's I don't know. She's building want to make her it. own narrative. Yeah, <laughs> she has her whole own thing going on with, by <laughs> yeah. the way, her newborn and her wedding that she's planning. Um, yeah. Which brings me to like the key question Should the letter writer go to the wedding? She says, I felt obligated to go because
2: of our valued friendship. If you can't have a conversation with your friend about something like this, I do think you have to really assess how deep a friends you are because mm-hmm. I've definitely been a, in a wedding party where someone in the wedding party told the bride, I can't afford to go to the bachelorette weekend or mm-hmm. I can't afford like X or YZ aspect of the wedding. And they were able to have a grown conversation about that. I think if you can't do that with your friend, like you need to take two steps back and think about where is your friendship And maybe you need to just open up with, like, again, that grace of, like, how are you? Are you doing okay? Let me tell you how I'm doing. There's a lot of money. I got a baby. Like, Mm -hmm. how much would this hurt if I didn't go? Or, like, can I see you (laughs) when you're in town next? And, like, let's talk about it or something like that. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Also, I'm getting into the weeds of weddings here. But I did notice that Lucy was a bridesmaid for the letter writer. it doesn't sound like the letter writer is a bridesmaid for her. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And there could be reasons for that. Like maybe Lucy has six sisters and they're her bridesmaids, or maybe she has no wedding party. But um, I think that's one small data point about how Lucy sees their friendship and how it may have changed. And I guess if this conversation doesn't happen, I would just ask the letter writer to reflect on, do you value the friendship you have or value the idea of the friendship that you used to have? Yes,
2: yes, yes. I also think like... I know so many friends who've had bridesmaids that they definitely have x one of them out of their life up until mm-hmm. this point. Like, I don't know if it's like almost a bad omen if you end up on someone's bridesmaids list because there's always <laughs> one where you're like, oh, we don't talk to her anymore. That's so true. And- <laughs> it's so true. It's like, <laughs> <That's so> true. <laughs> it's like you- rather than have your bridesmaid photo with you and all your bridesmaids, you should just like shuffle out certain people that you know you're going to lose anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Nicole, you can step off um, for this one. Thank you. You know,
1: we we won't be talking in five years. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I already can sense it because you were kind of a bitch the entire process of this (laughs) wedding. So
1: it's so true. I do feel like weddings and, like, well, bridal parties and weddings as a whole can be sort of like, make or break moments in friendships, right? Totally. If you show up and it goes well, your friendship is deepened. If you don't show up or if it goes poorly or if there's a conflict about your duties, that friendship can really tank. So bottom line, like concrete advice, um, I think that your advice for her to have an actual conversation is a great one. And honestly, that's the answer in 85% of these letters. Go talk to the person. (laughs) Tell them how you feel. Be vulnerable. Like, tell the truth.
2: Well, even like... Don't even tell like just ask her like I feel like she has so many questions about like is it because I'm there's a wealth gap between us is it because Mm -hmm. you have other friends like you won't know these things unless you check in with your friend to see how she's doing like imagine if she tells you something you hadn't even thought of when you've spent your like hours you know creating these narratives in your head. Right. It could be I'm going
1: through postpartum depression. Yeah. My husband is dragging me on all these trips out of town and all I want to do is like get under the covers in the hotel room and I literally can barely function.
2: Or it's always like he has a crazy gambling problem and we're actually mm-hmm. not really rich and we're, you know, a million yeah. dollars in debt. Like you don't know. You don't really know Absolutely. people's financial situation. So you
1: have no idea. <laughs> so have the conversation and if you for some reason can't have that conversation, or if the response is oh, you're being so needy. I don't know. Like, leave me alone. Then um, don't go because the wedding is not going to deepen your friendship because you, if you're not in the wedding party, you're barely going to see her there. You'll Mm -hmm. just be going on a small, expensive vacation that you didn't choose for a mediocre party. Um, And you'll feel resentful and you'll be in no position to like, be more open to deepening the friendship. So, you're well within your rights. And honestly, even if you were on good terms, you'd be well within your rights to skip a wedding you could not afford to go to,
2: or that would be a stretch. Yes. And I think whoever is hosting that wedding, if you don't understand that, like you're a jerk,
1: especially with a destination wedding. I mean, let's let's be honest, people have them so that fewer people will attend. Agreed. (laughs) It's actually part of the goal. Anyway, good luck. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show, and when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us.
0: Adultish is back, and this season, we're talking
2: about standing up and learning how to take a stand for issues on the minds of young people, like... Book bans.
1: The book banning side, they have an incredibly well-oiled machine.
2: Filling in food deserts.
3: We have three community colleges where we either provide food boxes or an actual operating farmer's market. And what's affecting young people's mental and emotional health.
1: Pressures of school, friendships from romantic relationships,
2: pressures from family. New episodes of Adultish from YR Media drop every Thursday, so subscribe wherever you're listening now
1: can't get enough Dear Prudence, then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, That's Slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Alicia Wainwright, to answer your letters. Our next question is titled Dating Dilemma.
3: After a seven-year relationship, I find myself single and dating again at 34. Before my ex, most of the people I dated were around my age. I frankly didn't date a lot. Now the dating pool has thinned and I've been on a lot of dates with men who are older than me. The one thing I've run into is a significant number of men who are divorced. I was at a party telling my friend about the most recent date and she said, Divorce, right? I was a little shocked because he was divorced. She started telling me about the problems with dating divorced men. Throughout the conversation, some other friends with much more dating experience than I started chiming in with the same advice. They stopped just shy of telling me I should try not to date divorced men until I adjusted dating again. On one hand, it seemed a little prejudiced, but on the other, they were spot on about things I thought were red flags from divorced men. I just hadn't connected some of the behaviors with divorce. They mentioned things like having a general apathetic attitude or calling their ex some version of a nag. They also mentioned that the chances of someone getting divorced a second time are higher than not. Frankly, I haven't been enjoying dating that much, and I was thinking of pulling back a bit. Do you think that staying away from divorced men for a while might help, or are my friends just being super judgmental?
1: There's so much to unpack here. um, I, oh my gosh. (laughs) Starting with the fact that this friend, I know exactly the mindset they were in at the party. They'd had a few glasses of wine or drinks. Mm -hmm. Um, They weren't drunk, but they were talking too much. And they were talking without a filter about things that were on their own mind because um, she'd probably just ended a bad relationship with a divorced man and needed to process it. And our poor letter writer was just there (laughs) to hear all
2: of it. (laughs) Um, Wrong place, wrong time. (laughs) Yeah. So that's my critique of
1: the style, but, um, I thought it would be fun to ask on the substance. If you had to say dating divorced men, yes or no, where would you come out?
2: Okay. It's so annoying, but it depends. I feel like if you are a divorced person and you have not learned anything from your previous marriage, I would tell you, girl, you gotta go. Mm. If this man has not learned anything or worse, their divorce was not their fault. Uh, Mm -hmm. then you gotta go because it takes two to tango. Most things you can point to fault on both sides. No one's ever inherently wrong. I think it takes like Mm -hmm. two people to make a relationship fall apart. And if this person went to therapy, they went to couples therapy and they can articulate why they were divorced and what they learned and what they did or didn't bring to the table. Give that person a chance. Like they might actually be an evolved human being. People make mistakes all the time, and one mistake might have been marrying the wrong person. And like you can walk away being like, I married someone who like didn't work for me in X, Y, and Z, and I didn't work for them X, Y, and Z, and therefore Mm -hmm. we are no longer together. But I'm here with you, and you are the (laughs) things that I enjoy about the the, like what I'm looking for out of the next partner. So (laughs) maybe it could be great.
1: Yeah, I think divorce isn't a big deal because I think marriage isn't a big deal. And by that, I mean, Ah. um, anyone can get married. True. (laughs) Being married is just a a relationship um, where you decided to do some paperwork or you wanted to have a party. Um, Anyone can do it. You don't have to have any special qualifications. Your relationship doesn't have to reach a certain level of seriousness. It's really just a ceremony and a party. And I think someone who's in a... 10-year cohabitating relationship with tons of issues would have way more baggage and way more red flags than someone who had an eight-month starter marriage and, you know, amicably parted ways realizing that it was the wrong choice. I just think we should take some of the intensity around the idea of marriage and divorce.
2: I agree. I also have never heard it described that way. And when you spell it out like that, I definitely see it. I also think, like, marriage can be what you make it. So Mm -hmm. I've definitely heard stories of people who were dating for 10 years and then they get legally married and they're divorced within Mm. a year or two. And I've seen in friendships, people have beautiful, healthy relationships. They get engaged, they get married. And then all of a sudden they start to face real trials and tribulations Mm -hmm. because there's something in their mind that changes in their relationship once they get married. So I don't, I mean, I'm not married. I can't really speak to that, but I would say there is just something about, you know, legal family that brings out maybe a deeper, like a depth in your relationship. I don't know if it's true. I'm just giving I can a solic- say that. yeah, yeah. But that's. I mean, kind of I will my-
1: say, like, the world takes your relationship more seriously. Your yes. relationship is treated as more serious by the world when you're married, yeah. um, and that's something that can add some intensity to it.
2: Yeah, I do think so. But
1: as a general rule, um, no, I would say do not stay away from divorced men. Stay away oh. from men who are bitter, men who talk about their ex all the time, mm-hmm. men who are in custody battles, men who show any signs of hating women or being resentful toward them. But those are men who could have been married or not married. Um, agreed, the, the agreed. Married, yeah, the marriage is not the thing that makes a guy a problem.
2: I dated a guy who every ex he had was crazy. Mm. And it always ended. Were you in crazy this, once
1: it was over? Oh,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> what ended, they would end in these like epic ways in which like there was always like like, you know, some sort of fireworks explosion. They're like going, showing up at the house. They're being like, they're being bonafide crazy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, yes. And I was like, that's wild. Like these women are, they sound crazy. I hear it. And then as we started dating and I was getting constantly gaslit and then these like weird hot and cold, like, you know, these sort of kind of classic symptoms of someone who is, who doesn't, who was trying to like mentally manipulate you, I found myself slowly becoming that crazy girl. Mm. I didn't key cars or anything like that. I actually just once we broke up, I literally never talked to him ever again because I wanted to prove like that I was not going to be the kind of woman he was with.
1: Oh, you know, he's telling people she blocked me on everything. She's so crazy. Exactly. She's on podcast talking about me. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's funny. It's like the way people talk about their exes, it really speaks a lot to their character, their level of respect uh, for people that they've been intimate with. And I think if you're out there shaming your ex-wife or speaking ill on them without also speaking ill on yourself, um, Mm -hmm. that's a huge red flag to me.
1: Absolutely. Giant, blanket sized red flag (laughs) waving in the wind. Um, So, okay. Dating divorced men is fine. As long That's as the red flags aren't there.
2: Also, you're 34. Like, yeah, you're 34. Your options. I mean, let's be real. At 34, your options. That he's probably more likely to have children. He's probably more likely to ma- hopefully, be a little bit more stable. Like, there's ups and downs to dating older men. Like, that can influence your relationship. But I also think, like, being with someone who is divorced, like that's a huge life event that could actually make someone potentially a better person, you know, because they went through some sort of trial in their life and they came out on the other side, hopeful and happy to try and date again. I mean, come on, like that's pretty resilient.
1: And we all know, like, don't quote me, but I feel like I've seen articles that say studies show marriage is really good for men. They're, they're happier, healthier, live longer. Of Um, And anecdotally, I feel like, I always tell my friends this, I think men who are divorced can't wait to get married again because they know how good it is for them. It's better than being single. So someone who's divorced, I actually think might be, um, well, let's just say that he's shown that he's open to commitment. While well, some mm-hmm. men are, n- are never going to make that commitment. This is someone who, who likes having a serious partner. So that's one thing that's a positive.
2: Also, you would hope that someone who wants to have a serious partner knows what they want from their partner. So yes. it's like, oh, I had um a partner who was ambitious, but as soon as we got married, they stopped wanting to work or anything like that. And while I respect what they want to do, I want to be with someone who is ambitious. So I found mm-hmm. myself nagging them all the time to get out of the house. And it created a lot of resentment, and we I literally just made up this entire scenario. But that's like good this story. is that's <laughs> yeah, a great story. Thanks. And <laughs> what but, happened? So in the end they got divorced <laughs> and she ended up going back to her career because she felt like, now I'm like totally committing to it. (laughs) He was holding her back and he realized that he wanted to be with a super ambitious woman. They just couldn't do it together. And they Mm -hmm. know that now. So, Yeah. (laughs) And that book is coming out next fall. (laughs) (laughs) Straight
1: to Netflix movie. Yeah. (laughs) I do want to say to the letter writer, separate from the divorce question, If you're out there dating, it's hard. Um, There's going to be a lot of ups and downs, especially if you're using the apps. You're going to have your heart broken and get your hopes up and be disappointed. One thing I want you to do is um, not be so easily influenced by other people's opinions. Friends, family, things you read, um, you're going to... You're going to have a really hard time if every time someone mentions something, don't date divorce guys. You shouldn't date guys who work in this industry. Um, you know, he's he went on a trip. He's probably cheating on you. You can't like filter all that input and be a healthy person in a relationship or in a dating situation. So try to kind of keep in perspective the random comments people make because everyone is going through their own stuff. And what you're hearing is a
2: reflection of that more than it is like wisdom about how to find love. Totally. Also thinking back to the question, was it Maya Angelou? When people show you who you are, they are, believe believe them. Yeah. Yeah. I I think like if a guy is out here talking about like, oh, women are nags, my ex was a nag, like he probably doesn't know how to listen and -hmm. you should take what he's saying and internalize that and be like, well, maybe he's not the right person for me. I want a partner who can listen to me. But if you're talking to a guy who can articulate his past relationships in like a healthy and respectful way maybe he's a healthy and respectful person like Mm -hmm. just receive the direct stimulus (laughs) and internalize that yeah and look and feel in your gut like this feels like a good situation this does not feel like a good situation and go from there you know absolutely don't google it
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the next time someone just unloads their opinions about your partner on you, I think a good line is, okay, wow, I guess we'll have to see what happens and walk away, continue to mingle.
2: (laughs) That's so good.
1: (laughs) You're listening to the Dear Prudence Show. And when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Alicia Wainwright, to answer your letters. Okay, Alicia, um, this has been great so far. Do you have anything left in you for another one?
2: Uh, Yeah, I also just like, if you had to like rate my answers, like I I do really well mentally if I know how I compare with other people, I'm incredibly competitive.
1: I mean, I complimented your therapist in the first response. (laughs) I'm gonna email her that. (laughs) You're in the 95th percentile. (laughs) Hey! (laughs) A-plus behavior. All right, let's go. (laughs) Let that carry you through this situation we're about to hear about, which is a lot. Okay. This letter is titled Romantic Behavior.
0: My friend Caroline is in her late 30s and very unhappily single. She has a prestigious, if not very lucrative career, but also badly wants marriage and children, and so far it hasn't happened. Caroline does have high standards, but not unrealistically so. She's very beautiful, intelligent, and highly educated. I myself am single and child-free by choice, but empathize with her longing for something she can't make happen on her own. About five years ago, Caroline met and started going out with an extremely handsome, charming man of seriously next-level wealth who immediately showered her with gifts and affection I and our other friends told her to be careful, that he was moving too fast, and was likely an abuser or human trafficker who was manipulating her by love bombing. She broke up with him when he invited her on an international trip just a couple of months into their relationship. Five years later, Caroline is still single and currently going through the financial and physical struggle of freezing her eggs in case she either never meets the right man or meets him too late to conceive naturally. Three months ago, I started a new job with a close coworker, Emma who has been married to the above-mentioned man for about three years. They have a a year-and-a-half-old baby, and she is pregnant with their second. They travel extensively with their child, own several gorgeous homes, and all in all seem incredibly happy. Emma never stops praising him, talking about all the nice things he does for her, and what an involved, adoring father he is. It's the life that Caroline has always dreamed of. Emma is also beautiful, intelligent, and highly educated, but no more so than she is. Further, Emma is several years younger and makes more money of her own, so would have not only had more time to find another partner if Caroline had ended up with her husband, but been in a better position to have kids alone if she hadn't. I now feel stupidly guilty for steering Caroline wrong with regards to this guy. Should I tell her this and apologize, or hope she never finds out? The problem is that I'm getting to be very good friends with Emma, so I worry they'll run into each other through me eventually. Do I need to take steps to prevent that from happening? Or pretend I didn't realize Emma's husband is Caroline's ex, which will become increasingly implausible the longer I know them. Please help.
2: Uh-oh.
1: I, um, there's a lot to unpack here, but, you know, I can't, I can't get past the human trafficking part. I can't get past the (laughs) allegation of human trafficking in the beginning. How do you
2: go, like, Emma should not be your friend anymore, Caroline should not be your friend anymore, but, like, you should just... Go inward and look at why am I such a hater on my friend Mm -hmm. and robbed her of an opportunity to be in a beautiful relationship. And Caroline, why aren't you listening to yourself? Why are you listening to your friends? Human trafficking? Where? He's rich. Rich people travel. Like... There's so many ways to mitigate not being trafficked, like taking a picture of his ID, sneaking in and taking a picture of his passport, giving your, you know, put one of those air tags on your body. Like, there's so many ways to mitigate (laughs) being trafficked. (laughs) If you think
1: he's an abuser, cite some signs of abuse, not just him being rich and wanting to go on a trip. That's what you do if you're rich. You spend your money on trips.
2: Okay. Listen, in my life, I have dated these kinds of guys and it comes with the territory that oftentimes they don't even live where you live or like you're doing like long distance kind of courting. And then you get to that point where you're like, okay, someone needs to fly somewhere. And Mm -hmm. I like take it at your level. So it's like, I'm not ready to travel with you because I feel like I don't know you. So they should come to you and do some sort of a staycation or something like that. If Caroline felt like, she was afraid of him, like, that's a weird thing. But if she wasn't afraid of him, Then, like, take it at your own pace. If he wants to go on a trip and you're not ready, then don't go. I've had friends who have been courted by wealthy guys, been put in their own hotel room, have been Mm -hmm. flown. Like, during, I had one friend who was flown during COVID, and the guy bought out the entire row of first class so that she wouldn't have to sit next to anyone and potentially catch COVID. I mean, I grew up like solidly middle class, and these sorts of things were so outside the realm of what I understood to be normal. So I understand a hesitation to it, but I also think like there's a way to move these things that are at a pace that you feel comfortable with, that you feel good about and you shouldn't listen to your friends who are just like coming up with these bizarre blanket statements and like look at what you did. Caroline is still out there searching for her guy and Emma is like happy, healthy, thriving and somehow your friend like who is this woman because she's surrounding herself with incredible women and ruining their lives. <laughs>
1: like yeah, I actually wish Caroline would have been the one to write in because Well, I would tell her, you know, Caroline, I know you see this guy out here lavishing someone else with money and gifts and having a wonderful life, but if you broke up with him because of a baseless and stupid comment your friend made, um, he was not the one for you. One thing I don't see anything of in this letter is any mention of love, compatibility, or connection. Mm -hmm. I feel like the letter writer has this very strange um, kind of transactional approach to dating or matchmaking. Where it's like, this woman has these qualifications and she's this age, so she she deserves the guy with the most money more than a younger woman who doesn't need him as much because she has his own career. And that's not really how love works. Like, no. you want to marry someone who you are so into that when your friend says, I'm pretty sure he's going to make you a sex slave, you say, you're out of your mind. You mm. have no idea what we have and I'm going to go enjoy my vacation. Basically, what I'm saying is if she was able to be talked out of this relationship by one completely unhinged comment, um, I think the connection probably was not there in the first place. And she maybe didn't actually lose out.
2: I don't know how the letter writer has not told her friend about her relationship with Emma and that Mm -hmm. Emma is with this guy she used to date. I understand she has some shame, but at the end of the day, she didn't go to her friend And was like, I like threatened her to break up with this man. She gave advice and this friend broke up with him of her own accord. So like, Mm -hmm. that's, you gave bad advice. She listened to it at the end of the day, like the buck stops with her. So I wouldn't feel that bad. But I also think you are the longer you wait to tell her about this, like the worse of a friend you're going to look like.
1: I would also say to the letter writer, um, I'm glad you haven't talked to Caroline yet um, because I want you to get your mind right about the situation because right now I, I feel like you have this, um, this narrative running in your head about her that she's like got a lot going for her, but she's desperate and she's running out of time and she needs to have children and she might not. And there's the scarcity of men and she's got it. She lost the one who was good for her. And I just don't think that's um, the vibe that you want to go into the conversation with. I think you want to go into it remembering that Caroline's a beautiful accomplished woman who has taken the responsible and thoughtful step of freezing her eggs so that she can have a child on her own timeline and someone will be really happy to meet her when it's the right person and she'll feel comfortable with him. So I think your line to her is just, you know, don't say, I'm so sorry. You could be married to a rich man. And I talked you out of him because I thought he was a sex trafficker and now he's so happy with someone else and it's all my fault and you're alone and miserable. Just say, Caroline, um, I don't know how you'll feel about this or if you'll care, but I can't believe I just learned my coworker, Emma, is married to your ex. Crazy, huh? That's it. Keep it light. It doesn't have to be so heavy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Just kind of let it be a fact and then let her... Create her own thoughts about it, rather than sort of impose your own thoughts on the situation, which is what you did it the first time, and you feel bad mm-hmm. about it. So, like exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly, don't do that anymore. In general, I say this as a busybody. Like, I love other people's business. Obviously, it got me into this job, but <laughs> <laughs> just try to be a little bit less of a busybody. Like, listen to her what she's going through, reflect her feelings back to her, but stop with like giving direction and feeling responsible for her choices. When you start to feel responsible for someone else like missing out on their Prince Charming, something has gone wrong. I
2: absolutely agree.
1: Those are all the questions we have for the week. I, as always, hope we've been helpful. Thank you, Alicia.
2: Thank you. And, you know, this is so fun. I will say I love listening to dating and relationship podcasts, and never did I think someone would want to hear what I had to say. So,
1: (laughs) thank you. Well, you're really good. You're very wise. Shout out to your therapist. Listen and subscribe to Alicia's podcast, When Science Finds a Way, where she meets the researchers and scientists finding impactful solutions to critical. Health issues worldwide and the people who are inspiring and contributing to their work. New episodes of When Science Finds a Way will be available weekly on all major podcast listening platforms beginning on Wednesday, June 28th, 2023. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash prudy i.e. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday.
2: If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous.
1: Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Brandon Nix and Emily Cherish. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.
3: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.